With so many of us having to adapt to different ways of living and working during the COVID-19 pandemic, Per and I are having regular UX podcast Fika breaks. Visit uxpodcast.com slash Fika, that's F-I-K-A, to find out when. UX podcast episode 234. I am Pad. And I am James. And this is UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, and people every other Friday since 2011 with listeners in 193 countries around the world from Finland to Panama. Today's guest, Eva Lotte-Lam, is a designer, visual thinking expert, and trainer. She's been holding sketching workshops for many years, and you might well have seen some of her excellent sketch notes, which Eva Lotta has even published in her book form. And on top of that, you could well have even seen her illustrations in Content Everywhere by Sarah Walter Butcher and The User's Journey by Donna Licho. In our conversation with Eva Lotta, we learn about sketching, visual thinking, and we get a lot of practical advice on how to work with the visuals, not only to communicate ideas, but to uncover and work on problems. Eva Lotta, when did you know that you were really good at visualizing? Wow, what a question. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm very good at it right now. I always keep learning new things, but um, I always liked drawing and it always felt like a natural thing to do f while I was trying to understand things or explain things to other people. And most people understood what I wanted to explain. So it always felt natural. I never thought about it if I'm particularly good or not. But for me, that's the mark of an expert, isn't it? When you when you respond like that, I don't even know if I'm good at it. it it's your profession and everybody loves it, what you're doing and you teach and, and you sell courses. And so obviously you have some proficiency. Yes. It. Yeah, sure. I mean, now, now that it's my job, um, it's yeah. kind of, it should be, I should be good at it. Right. Um, and I do, yeah. and I do get compliments and there are people mm. who sign up mm. for my courses. So, but I, I can't trace it back to a certain particular point no. in time. I kind of glided into it. I did visualizing and sketch noting and visualizing things for many, many years just for my own benefit before I ever started sharing or teaching it. So mm -hmm. there was never this mo there was never this moment where I thought, okay, this is a skill I want to learn because I want to have a career in it. And so I just learned it without having the pressure of having to be good at it. Uh, wow. I think that's it's really interesting that you said about how well, you maybe don't know if you're good at it. When I mean, I know that both Per and I love sketching or using sketching as as a as a way of as a, as a tool in our toolbox when we're working um, and encouraging others to do it. But that's that lack of confidence is something that we come across all the time, no matter who it is. It's people always yes. say, "I can't draw. I can't. I can't do this," and they're reluctant to go forward. Is there anything we can do to help? Well, yeah. I mean, this is one of the things I notice as well, especially in the workshops that I teach, uh, that the fear of not being good enough or being absolutely terrible is um, the biggest hurdle that holds people back. So the first thing I do is I give people permission to just 
also do shit drawings or oh. drawings that they don't like very much. I mean, one thing is you should get used to producing things that you don't like. That is part of the journey, but of producing anything, you know, when you cook, sometimes you cook a dish that's not super great. Um, or when you do UX, not all the interfaces you design are amazing. Or on the way to designing the amazing interface, you have lots of iterations that are not that good. It's just, it's just part of life and part of creating. So when I take the pressure off people and say, well, it's all right if it doesn't look great, but if it explains things well or it works for you, then it's fine. Then people relax and um, go like, oh, okay, I'll try it. And by practicing a little bit, they'll see, oh, I can actually do more than I thought I could. Um, yeah, so this permission is really important, I think. Mm. Allowing people to fail. Yes. Course. I mean, it makes sense everywhere. It, such a good yeah it's part of life i mean for example <laughs> i am really i i think i'm terrible at writing or i at least i find it very very hard to put thoughts in a linear order and uh, uh i give myself permission to write shitty first drafts anyway i that's a that's an expression i like a lot it comes from a lady called um oh, no, uh, and Lamott, she wrote a book about writing and she calls it the shitty first draft. And the shitty first mm. draft has to come out because it's the stepping stone for anything better to happen. And so um, getting over it as soon as possible, also your shitty first sketch is important because from there yeah. you can only get better. I listened to Tom Hanks uh, talking to Ellen Elda last week. And uh, he was talking about how he loves typewriters, precisely because you cannot go back and delete. Mm. You have to just keep writing. And in a sense, that's maybe how digital has ruined us. We're always trying to reach perfection before we've gotten anywhere. We're, n we're not allowing ourselves to go on. And I, I, I'm thinking that that has to be the case for sort of for sketching as well. If you're sketching on an iPad, you're always deleting and trying to make it perfect that's, instead of just going on. That's true. The uh, mm -hmm. the temptation is always there to start editing before you have created a critical mass of any kind of content. And that's also mm -hmm. why I encourage people to start sketching with pen and paper when they start sketching so they don't get distracted by the tools and by the possibilities and of course when you master the tools and you have the confidence and you have the skills then you can use a tool like an ipad in an amazing way just to speed up your process and to make it easier to make edits afterwards especially when you're sketching more for production or for illustrations or for client iterations of course but it keeps you on your toes to sketch on paper and to actually be confronted with your own mistakes and having to fix them. You learn so much about improvising with space and improvising with your mistakes and just coming up with creative solutions for stuff that otherwise uh, you would have deleted and fiddled about with endlessly and um, edited mm. on your iPad. Well, that's, that's interesting. So you suggest pen, uh, so pen, and paper rather than pencil and paper oh yeah oh so you so you have to so you uh, have to deal with, like i just realized when you said you have to deal with the, your own mistakes and of course yes. oh that's that's really interesting i didn't, I didn't consider that's really that. good for practicing i tell people don't use a pencil mm. no erasers we only make marks we don't take anything away if you make a wrong line then you just put the correct line on top of it and if you need too many lines on top of each other and it's still rubbish, then you make a new sketch. 
because it's <laughs> fast and it's cheap. It's like we don't waste time trying to take away marks. We just add stuff. We move on. And I'm just thinking about the over the years, how many times I've sat next to Per in conferences when he's doing his sketch notes and seen how many times he's pressed the undo button to redo a line or something on your iPad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I should sit next to Eva more and see her do with pens and paper. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I'm on an iPad, because it's so quick and cheap to just do a two-finger tap to go one step back, of course I do it as well. Yeah. But I'm conscious, um, I'm conscious of the fact that when I work on an iPad, I first have to really get into collecting and putting down content because I don't want to get into the trap of, of constant editing and then just not, not collecting stuff. So um, mm. it's a more conscious effort to actually have the rigor to, to keep going forward and not constantly taking things away. So I wonder if, if we think about now, you talk about um, visualizing um, concepts or problems. So if we, if we think about the move from sketching to visualizing or visualizing problems, where's, where's that boundary? Or what, what happens when I move from sketching to visualizing? Well, I think it's, I, I think it's fairly fluid. I mean, the use of language sketching Sketching is usually a drawing to figure something out. It is something when the when the thought is not formed yet or the info, you don't know the information beforehand. It's just coming live and you're figuring something out as you go along. Um, most and visualization, uh, a sketch is also a visualization. Mm. It always depends if you're making visuals for yourself or for others. When you make visuals only for yourself, of course, you can be more loose and more vague because you have all the context and all the thoughts that go with it in your head. When you do it for other people, you um, need to be a little bit more explicit. Maybe your sketches have to be a little bit neater. So just that they are readable for other people as well. And then, of course, you think about if you're going more into the realm of illustration and you're really doing something that is not just an artifact that you use in the moment in the process for a while and then you move on, but something that goes into a book or um, is going to be used for several weeks or months. Of course, you put a little bit more effort in to really make it very robust and understandable in lots of contexts without uh, you being there to explain it or without people having the tacit knowledge of the conversation you had while you you were creating the sketch. So it is a sliding scale of... um, uh, of how explicit and how clear you have to make the drawing without uh, implying that somebody knows the context. Yeah, You're saying make it good enough for the job it has to do. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Nice. And how do you make it robust? <laughs> Is that part of the iterations? Well, yeah. I mean, when I say visualization is robust, I mean mm. um, that there are certain aspects to it. So I, um, I like to talk a lot about clarity in my workshops because the reason why I'm drawing or sketching is because I want to enhance the clarity of my thinking, my communication, whatever it is I apply it to. So for me, there are kind of three layers of clarity that all need to come together for something to be robustly understandable. So the the first layer, I call that formal clarity. And this is basically just, is this thing readable? You know, when I make a rectangle, 
do I see that it's a rectangle or did I rush it so much that it could also be a potato? <laughs> um, it's like with your handwriting, you know, when it's so rushed that you can't read the word, then your concept can be super clear. But if you can't read it, nobody will understand. So this is just the formal aspect. So this is more about your motor skills. How do you move your hand? How quick or how slow? How clear are your marks on the paper? Um, then the second layer is what I call structural clarity. And this is really the question of what are all the different elements on the page? Um, what is the relationship between the elements? Is that clear? Do you have all the elements? Um, are the more important things bigger, the less important things smaller? Is that really clearly presented? This is more a question of visual perception, you know, how do we distinguish things from each other? And also a question of, uh, did you pick the right elements to be on the page? Um, and then and then the last layer of clarity is uh, what I call conceptual clarity. So are you actually talking about the, the, the right thing? Um, who Who's the audience you're talking to? Are you actually talking about the right part of the problem? Because every problem, when you pitch something to a CEO, it's different than a conversation with a developer, for example. The level of detail that you talk about, the depth, um, the the context uh, of of previous knowledge that you can uh, that you can assume from your audience. You can have something completely nicely rendered and completely structurally sound. If you're talking to the wrong person and it's not the right message for them, then the concept won't be clear either. So these three things have to come together in in the in at least a basic level for the thing to be understandable and clear. That makes a, in my opinion, that makes a sketch or any piece of communication robust when you have these three elements coming together. And of course, more robust, if you can't explain it yourself, in, if in doubt, add in more redundancy. So add in more context information because you assume that somebody might not have the context. Also like you, the redundancy, yeah, of course, it'd be like a backup, a backup element to the sketch yes also also what i need to say is when i talk about sketches for me a sketch is not only the visual part but also the labeling and annotations so a sketch yeah. is always yeah. visuals and words and um adding words to sketches is an integral part and super important because the visual elements in a sketch are good for a lot of to explain a lot of things um but for some things words are stronger and more precise. What I found out over the years when I looked at my own sketches and when do I use annotations and what do I use words for and how do images and words really play together because I love language as well. What visuals are really strong at is they are great at um, showing relationships because we um, evaluate relationships in our life and in our environment all the time through our eyes you know how fast is this bottle away from me can i grab it um how quickly is this car passing by can i cross the road before it so we we uh, evaluate all these relationships through the visual information so we are really good at it when we want to show a relationship like a time relationship when we put two events on the piece of paper further away from each other and two are closer together we automatically read the distance the physical distance as a time distance as a longer stretch and a shorter stretch without even having to think about it 
Um, this is not only true for time relationships, but also for hierarchical relationships or uh, conceptual relationships, functional relationships. So visuals are great for, for showing relationships because we read them naturally. Mm. But that then when you come to uh, precision and data and naming, then language is unbeatable. Because if you put if you put down a timeline and then really evaluating by the length of centimeters, if this is now three days or four days, is really hard. So if you want to be precise and want to make things actionable, then it's great to add words to it. That's an example for it. I was just thinking about how you know, I, I love standing in front of the whiteboard and, and, and drawing things and thinking through ideas and concepts in, in the workshop environments or team environments. And, and it just struck me now when you were explaining this that um, I'll use words, of course, to describe as I'm maybe sketching something. Um, yes. To use your timeline example there, maybe I'd, draw, I'd be drawing the line and I'd say kind of one day, two day, three days, and then I'd maybe finish it. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that works in the, in the room. Um, but yes. what we find, what I find is very often people will take photographs with their, their smartphones um, at the end of meetings to, to record that moment. But mm-hmm. maybe I should maybe um, spend a few minutes adding some labels at the end. Exactly. And that's what, mm. I, that's what I meant by making it more robust. Mm. Because the people who were in the room, they will remember it. Or maybe they will only remember it for two days and then they will have forgotten. Mm. Because our memory just fades away. <laughs> Mine fades away quicker than others. So yeah, making it more robust if it needs to endure over time or over different contexts, then if in doubt, add labels. That's mm. always good because even for yourself, if I look at some of my sketches that I did half a year ago, um, for some of it's like, oh, what was I thinking? And if you add labels, you just mm. help yourself and you help others. Annotations. You could even argue that it's a responsibility when you're doing these things that you need to add labels for the clarity because otherwise you're contributing to confusion, possibly. Yes, and you need to be the judge of what is adequate and what is the use of this thing, how long does it live, and if in doubt, make it more explicit and um, and add labels or add additional visuals, whatever you need to make it more robust. So I have this theory now that I'm thinking of when I'm listening to you speak, because you're speaking so eloquently about problem solving in a way that applies to everything. I'm thinking that you not only have practitioners at your courses and workshops you have leadership as well they are also interested in learning this these things yes and they listen to you explain this and this makes me think that sometimes ux has a hard time being listened to by leadership whereas you are working with visuals but in a way that they can understand i notice a thing sometimes when i actually do client work so sometimes i get hired by clients to help them visualize complex situations so that they can either express something in a clearer way or understand things in a different way. I sometimes notice that they hire me for visualizing something, but actually it very quickly turns into more of a consulting thing because in order to visualize something, I have to ask uh, very precise and often the difficult questions of, so what are all the elements and how do they really hang together? And what is this relationship really like? How does that work? And this usually puts the finger fairly quickly on some very strategic uh, high level questions um, that just need to be answered 
in some way, shape or form to be able to visualize it. So that's also why I love uh, the challenge of visualizing something as a way for exploration and a different way to uncover requirements because very quickly, uh, because you, you can waffle, it's much harder to waffle with visuals um, that you very quickly get to the important questions um, because there's no way around. <laughs> I love that. that so they, they think they've got a problem visualizing uh, a particular thing, whereas, whereas actually many of the times the problem is that they haven't come far, en far enough in their, their thought process around the particular thing in order to be able to communicate it. Yes, or that something in the system is broken or something in the process is really complicated and convoluted. Mm -hmm. And for me, visualizing something is not only to show solutions but first and foremost most of the time i use visualizing as a way to understand problems and uncovering problems and working on problems that's the beauty of um of making things visual it's a different way to access a problem or a system so do you ever get that experience where someone says hey but hey i thought you were supposed to teach me to draw but now you're exposing how bad i am at planning <laughs> <laughs> I usually I usually try not to expose anybody and point the finger and say, look, now you see how bad you are at X, Y, Z. But um, some people sometimes find it surprising how helpful it is and that they think, oh, yeah, it's most, you know, they get attracted through the through the visuals. And then they're like, yeah, oh, wow. Now I see this problem in a different light and uh, I couldn't see it like that before. That's really great when people discover that. Uh, Everlord, uh, we're a podcast, of course. So this is an audio um, medium. But yes. I'd love for us to try and get you to teach us some, some uh, give us some good tips on how we can draw or sketch some, some basics better through the medium of, of sound. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, one important thing to not forget whatever you do, but especially when you sketch, is keep breathing. <laughs> a lot of people, especially when they find sketching very hard, uh, they hold their breath and they get really stiff and really nervous. So, you know, take it easy. Um, also, I have just in terms of the formal clarity, you know, some things that you can do for your sketches, if in doubt, slow down, um, make your marks slower because we often refer to, sketch, uh, to sketching as a very fast technique, but sketching is not fast because we move our hand incre incredibly fast across the paper. Sketching is fast because we are economical with our strokes. We draw, th we simplify things. First, when we sketch icons, we simplify the icons to basic shapes so that we don't need to make that many strokes, so we are faster. And then also when we get more um, more experienced, we try to simplify systems and concepts to just the core of what we need to explain. And therefore, we don't have to draw that many elements because we are reducing the complexity um, or the level of complexity that we show in something that we want to explain by reducing it to the core ideas. Um, so. You can always benefit from slowing your hand down because then your strokes will get clearer. Your handwriting will get clearer. You don't have to write and draw things again. 
usually our ideas our overtake the speed of our hand and then things get messy um also one thing why sketches get messy and unreadable is uh the the biggest enemy of good form is pressure usually time pressure you can also when you when you speak for example and you don't have much time you f start speaking really quickly and then it becomes difficult to understand what you're saying blah, blah 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 or when the stakes are high when you're standing on a stage other people are watching you know the ums and ahs come in and it's just pressure is the natural enemy of good form in any discipline so what you need to do is you practice the form and practice the clear strokes and the clear shapes that you're drawing. So when you are under pressure, either by your own ideas streaming in, by having important stakeholders in a meeting, by being under time pressure, that you have the good form in your hand because you practiced it so much that you can deal with the stress without it impacting your good form, like you do with public speaking, like you do with athletics or dance performances or whatever so that is one tip uh it's practice wow that was like a ted talk <laughs> <laughs> i definitely have to remember to breathe but i, I recognize the breathing thing i mean I've, i i do remember sometimes how if you especially if you're doing a long straight line for example and you kind of yes. you realize halfway through now i haven't i haven't taken a breath since the start of this line but i really <laughs> want it to be straight <laughs> Well, one thing, one tip for straight lines, if you, if, if you have wonky lines, one tip is, especially when you work on a, just on a piece of paper, usually we have more control over uh, our hand movement when we actually pull towards our center of gravity. So when we start away from us and pull towards our belly button. So if you need to make a very long straight line, uh, then it's better to draw towards yourself than pushing away or drawing sideways. That can be a tip when you draw on a piece of paper because you can always rotate the piece of paper so that the stroke will point towards you. Perfect practical tip. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. This this has been so enlightening and so wonderful. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Eva. Also. It's a pleasure. So I wasn't joking when I said I felt uh, that that was like a TED talk because actually when she started speaking at the end, it was like she was giving me life lessons. This wasn't as much about sketching as I probably thought it, in the beginning when we were going to interview her, but she was actually talking about things that made sense for everything, for all aspects of life, about when we were talking about editing, you start editing, uh, the dangers of starting to edit before you've created some, some critical mass of content, uh, and you need you need crap to make something beautiful uh, and all that experimentation and adding redundancy if people aren't understanding all the way to actually remembering to breathe. It was just a wow moment for me to be listening to her. I, I, uh, I feel blessed having to learn those lessons, but in this roundabout way around sketching. Uh, I mean, yeah, because you're right. I mean, I, I expected us to talk more around the actual sketching although at the same time Everlot is a visual explainer and works with mm. this so I'm, I'm you know it's not a surprise in that sense but I think what I reflected upon and was surprised about was how this captures so much of the essence of what it is to do the work we're doing 
Mm. But you know, we a lot of us we 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 do like sketching things, and we do like you know the 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 drawing of lines and the drawing of interfaces or whatever you know, the working of working through problems using pens and paper. But I hadn't I hadn't really thought about some of the aspects that Everlot had brought up during the interview um, from from practical things like you mentioned with adding you know, giving sketches um, a longer life through adding. Um, labels and making them more robust um, mm. to actually the fact that uh, the sketch isn't always something that you're using to communicate the sketch in itself is exploring the problem space which I know when I sit here I've got I've got sketches to my right at the moment that I've been working on for yeah. a client and that's me exploring the problem space mm. but I hadn't really maybe it's kind of naive of me or silly of me but I, I hadn't really connected it all together in the same way as have a lot to manage to do during this interview. Yeah, because you and I, we know it's powerful, but we, we haven't been able to perhaps explain why it's so powerful. <laughs> and it's so funny. I, I love that she brought up that, well, hey, sometimes a sketch is 80% words. Sometimes it's arrows. I mean, I sometimes I draw four arrows on a whiteboard uh, and people say, oh, you're so visual. But it's four arrows connecting a lot of text labels. <laughs> so, so basically, it's 80% text, and, and you don't even think about that because you're, you're placing it not linearly on a paper, but you're placing it instead uh, across a broader space, which makes it feel you, you understand it. And that's why it was so important that she was talking about how the spacing between objects and the sizing between objects and how they compare, that helps people think. We draw those connections instantly by how even words are placed on a piece of paper. Yeah, I don't, but, and visual hier hierarchy, it, it's yeah. not something new to us. We know about it. We use mm. it when we're doing interface design. Um, and we're almost certainly using it um, subconsciously, for some of us, maybe, subconsciously when we're doing work in front of whiteboards or sketching in, in, in groups or communicating with lines on diagrams that we're making for others. Yeah. Uh, I also th think about, I mean, I... I'm clutching now one of my one of my pens I use for sketching, um, and it's a pen. It's not a pencil. Um, I, I rarely use pencils. Um, and looking back, I mean, you sh you showed me a picture this morning of your um, of, of your, one of your son's um, sketchbooks. Yeah, and he'd been using pen. And exactly. thinking back to to my days when I was probably around the same age as your son is, um, I used to write and sketch. Sorry, with um, uh, biro, so uh, ink pens. Um, mm. And I and I used to like that because it forced me to be to be sketchy. It forced me to 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 do use lots of lines and to and to be rough with sketching, which meant I could I could let go of being correct and being detailed. And you know I wasn't going to mm. do a Mona Lisa. I wasn't intending to. That wasn't what I was trying to achieve. And yeah. the, the, using the, the using a pen rather than a pencil exactly. forced me to just let go. You're having fun, essentially. Yeah. And. Ha having fun as you're creating something it's it's something we f often forget to do as well yeah the tool the tool in my hand um had allowed me to let go of something um that i probably would have kept on to if i'd used a pencil and had an eraser or rubber to correct it personally i'm going to take i'm definitely going to think more about the um, adding of labels to things at the like I mentioned during the interview about so many times we're at the end of meetings and we've created something or there's been a few points during a session where you've created something visually and take five minutes maybe the last five minutes of the meeting to deliberately set aside some time to annotate yeah together maybe even um, so you've got a better artifact at the end to take with you I'm going to take away 
slowing down because it's strange it that's something i tell other people i mean it's something i even have in my handbook but even in in drawing i i mean i i mistakenly think that you sort of draw fast but if you draw slowly but with intent you don't have to redo that line which means that that will go faster because it's just a simple way of of annotating yeah the whole thing where you're being you're economical producing. with strokes yeah yeah, you're producing something quickly, but that doesn't mean mm. to say that the component parts of the thing you're creating have to be done fast. So slow down your marks to create something quicker. Yep, you're right. That was like a TED talk from <laughs> Ava Dotter. So what should people listen to next? I reckon a sensible choice will be episode 209, Paper Prototypes. Um, that was the one where we look into um, whether paper prototypes are fantastic tools or a waste of time based on a, um, a little video clip um, of paper prototypes that a group of students um, worked mm, on. Exactly. Thanks for listening, everyone, and it's always a pleasure. A quick reminder, you can contribute to funding UX Podcast by visiting uxpodcast.com slash support. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. did the green grape say to the purple grape? I don't know, Per. What did the green grape say to the purple grape? Breathe, idiot! Breathe! I don't get it. <laughs> His face was purple. He wasn't breathing, so... <laughs> oh! Oh, no, that was, that was the worst one ever. <laughs>